This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. So much of the story in the Middle East yesterday um, was about the bombing of basically a refugee center. Um, you might say, and I might say, the logic of of this as we're, what are we, 23 days, 24 days in after the October 7th Hamas massacre, you might say, what is anyone still doing in Gaza? Was anyone still doing there? And I think it all depends on circumstances. I think there's people that are absolutely disenfranchised, poor, can't leave, can't get out. There are people that have vacated. That much is obvious. But headed to a refugee camp, there's a lot of scrutiny on Israel. If you're going to make the case Israel's got a right to defend itself, you're still going to have to scrutinize how they do it. I mean, I think these are logical things and, and these are fair things. It's pretty tough to do what Israel's attempting to do, destroy a terror organization and not have the public, members of the public as, you know, we hate to say it, collateral damage. But what's that balance? That certainly wasn't the case when the United States um, but were, were looking to take out the Taliban after 9-11. That certainly wasn't the case with the United States really being aggressive with a ground campaign in Iraq in the spring of 2003. I remember talking about these, um, even though I was doing sports then, I remember talking about these moments on the radio and thinking, of course, there ends up being a balance. This is really interesting audio from CNN yesterday. Wolf Blitzer, who was, you know, who really made his claim to fame as a veteran reporter at the time during uh, Operation Desert Storm. That was my first year of university when the United States uh, took on Saddam Hussein in Iraq and said, you got to get out of Kuwait. Iraq had invaded Kuwait that summer, attempting to, you know, in essence, um, partition Kuwait and take some of the natural resources. Kuwait's really, really oil rich. It's not like Iraq's not. But there's there were tons of conflict there and the United States stepped in and Wolf became really famous for that. But I think this is how you challenge a member of the uh, Israeli defense forces for basically something where, where it looks like now they've taken responsibility for this but it does look to, to many eyes like it's an incredibly aggressive move like i would use the phrase the juice isn't worth the squeeze here there's going to be far more humanitarian chaos and disorder and tragedy than the benefit of doing what happened here here's this exchange on cnn yesterday afternoon so can you confirm it was an israeli attack that uh, destroyed a big chunk of that jabalia refugee camp Yes, I can. We went. We were focused the again on our the target, a senior commander wolf, and we'll be updating uh, you with more data as the hour moves ahead. But even if that uh, uh, Hamas commander was there amidst all those Palestinian refugees who are in that in that Jabalia refugee camp, Israel still went ahead and, and dropped a bomb there, attempting to kill this Hamas. Uh, this Hamas, Hamas commander, knowing that a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children, presumably would be killed. Is that what I'm hearing? That's not what you're hearing, Wolf. We, again, were focused on this commander, again, who you'll get more data who this man was. They killed many, many Israelis. Uh, we're doing everything we can. These are, it's a very complicated battle space. There could be infrastructure there. There could be tunnels there. Uh, we're still looking into it, and we'll give you more data as the hour moves ahead. But you know that there are a lot of refugees, a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children in that refugee camp as well, right? This is the tragedy of war, Wolf. I mean, we, as you know, we've been saying for days, move south, 
civilians are not involved with Hamas, please move south. Yeah, I'm just uh, trying to get a little we, bit more information. Uh, you knew there were civilians there. You knew there were refugees, all sorts of refugees. But you decided to still drop a bomb on that refugee camp attempting to kill the Hamas commander. Keeps going, doesn't he? And I think that's that's what's necessary to be done. By the way, Wolf Blitzer, by many people, has been accused of being very pro-Israel at times. This is just the inevitability of talking about this. The more anybody, anybody talks about this, one day you'll be accused of being pro-Israel. One day you'll be accused of being insensitive to the Palestinian people. The next day you're, uh, you know, you're um, an anti-Zionist, and the next day you're pro, pro, um, you know, pro-Palestinian. Maybe you're just pro-humanity at a certain point in time. Maybe you're just that. But Blitzer sounded totally incredulous and to some extent horrified by the explanation for bombing a refugee camp. I'll give you a little more context on this. Malcolm Nance is a guy who served in the military. In fact, he went over to Ukraine to fight with uh, Ukrainian forces against Russian forces. Guy, he, He's in his early 60s or, or at best uh, his late 50s. And he's been a U.S. Intelligence, ex, U.S. intelligence expert forever. Here's what he says about the scenario with the bombing near the Jabalia re, refugee camp. Here's his tweet. The tight impact zones of the four viable craters indicate this was an underground target. The blast sequence sunk the entire street. Hamas bragged that they had 500 kilometers of underground tunnels. That's where a Hamas commander would be. No part of Gaza is wide open. Uh, this is more like attacking uh, the tunnels. He makes a reference to um, to something that happened in Afghanistan in 2003 that I'm not familiar with, so I wouldn't be good at giving context on it. But there you have it. They're looking for an underground Hamas commander. But what's the humanitarian price? It's not an easy question. It's probably a more difficult answer. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. We didn't expect this video because when we left the air yesterday, Doug Ford's having a news conference about cutting the gas tax, but then he's getting grilled by reporters about his daughter's wedding and developers and uh, MZOs. Uh, Google it. We don't have time to explain <laughs> it a, a fifth time in the last 24 hours. But um, what we didn't expect, couldn't have anticipated it, was a Doug Ford two-minute Ford Nation Twitter video with a candy competition. How would we have possibly known this was coming yesterday? I We had no idea. And this is where Doug is at his best. He comes out with this video, he introduces himself, and he's trying to figure out what the best uh, chocolate bar or candy is for Halloween. Let's start with his intro. Today we're going to find out which Halloween candy takes the crown to be the best Halloween candy out there. And believe me, I'm an expert. Now, he goes on from there. He patted his tummy when he said he was an oh, expert. It's he did. He did out. pat his tummy. And how can you I'm, not? Honestly, this is where we all fall in love with him all over again. Yes, don't look at the <laughs> comments. Me. Don't go on Twitter and look at the comments of people are saying all kinds of things. <laughs> There's about a strong ratio with the comments. Yes, there I, is. I, I, I give true. you that. But his first, let's go to his first two uh, competitive candy items. We got candy corn and Kit Kat. So I got to try both. I'm going to try the candy corn first. Good candy corn. Now we're going to try the Kit Kat. Kit Kat, take a break. <laughs> They're both good. But I got to tell you, I love the chocolate, so I'm going to pick the Kit Kat. What are you picking, Brady? Candy uh, corn or Kit Kat? No, Kit Kat for sure. And, and yeah, I, I defend candy corn I, I, existence. I don't want to ban it from Ontario, but Kit Kats are better. I agree. Candy corn, I think, is disgusting. Okay, I'm oh. going to give away a little something here. 
The next one that he talks about, so now it's Kit Kat and Caramel. To tell me what you would pick between the Kit Kat and the Caramel. We'll find out what, what Doug picks, but what would you pick? Um, the Kit Kat. I don't like all the syrupy stuff in the Caramel. Okay, car. let's see what, what let's Doug see picks. Let's see what happens here. Oh, boy. This, this is going to be a close one. Caramel. Beautiful. I love it. Cadbury and Nestle's made right here in Ontario. Mm-mm. I'm going with the Caramel. Oh, okay, so you were wrong there. I was a You're, bit surprised. You and Doug don't align on on, on several things. It seems yeah, you can't yeah. go have, share uh, the, the education bar. system and <laughs> caramel bars. <laughs> okay, the next one uh, is Reese's peanut butter cups. What are you picking, caramel or, Reese, or uh, Kit Kat? No, he picked caramel. So caramel or Reese's peanut well, butter? Well, it's certainly the Reese. Yeah, I'm, I, the caramel is is mid is mid level for me. It's mid, as the kids say. Okay, let's see what he picks. Ooh, now this is going to be a tough competition. You know, I love these Reese's Pieces. Give this a whirl. You know something? Caramel just got knocked off. It's the chocolate Reese's Pieces peanut butter cups. Okay, <laughs> now now he's up against the Reese's peanut butter cups and the next one, which is right here. These old Henry's, love them. This is probably one of my favorites. The new champ, O. Henry. I'm with him there. I love a good O. Henry, but it's hard to get because it has peanuts in it. So obviously people are not going to, you know, hand right, it out on Halloween. Get, yeah, ha- that's not a big Halloween handout. But there's, I mean, my kids in the studio, but I do steal all of their O. Henry's when I go through their bags. Okay, finally, he, oh, it's O. Henry now against? Mars Bar. Oh my goodness. Made from FM Foods up in Bolton. Delicious. Oh, this is a tough one. We like them both. We got the new champ, the Mars Bar. Don't you love how his mouth is full? He's chewing. Really He's plugging is. Ontario. He's plugged Ontario twice now. Uh, yeah. The comments are quite amazing. There's some people that really like them, and some people are like, you pushed Big Farm on us, now you're pushing Big Candy. Uh, all we ever get is tricks from you. Looking forward to the treat of your resignation. <laughs> like, people are not, are not having it. Some are, some aren't. Put it that way. No. But, but you made a great point. Find me, and, and, and I remember this, Sheba, when, remember when he came back and he told a story about getting the haircut in Florida? And he was like down uh, traveling in Florida yeah. and he got like an $18 haircut he at was Walmart appalled. or something. Yes. But I, I heard from big time political people who said, that's what he can do that nobody else can. Yeah, nobody that's else what is he doing can. that. But the liberal candidates, the NDP, like you got to find a way to be relatable to people. And that works. This, if you haven't seen the video, it is worth watching. Yeah. It makes you fall in love with him. And well, here's, well, no, I'm telling you, there's something about Doug. You and I can, you know, we talk about him all the time on the show. But when you see this video, there's no, you said it, there's no one else that can do this. Here is my favorite favorite. Okay. This is the final part of the video where he decides who the what the ultimate chocolate bar champion is and i love the way he does this i'll tell you a story about the coffee chris when it was my mother's birthday and we were young i'd always say mom what do you want and she'd always say i want a coffee crisp so my brother rob and i would go up to the store and would find one of those big honking coffee crisps and she'd love it let's try the coffee crisp in memory of my mom here so i think the coffee crisp is the champ of all champs Oh, and they get into some guitar music there. Whatever uh, conservative aid uh, <laughs> came up with the scary music, it's really well done, right? Like they really wanted to. I thought it was perfect. And he unveils it. There's a bowl over each chocolate bar. Yeah. So he lifts it up. He flips it around. It's like cocktail. It's so a Tom Cruise and cocktail. He's right. flipping the bowl around, doing all kinds of tricks with it. Then he gets it into the chocolate bar. So Coffee Crisp and the tribute to his mom. He throws his brother Rob in there. 
It's a very, very family oriented, very Ontario oriented. He knows what he's doing. Who can do this? Who else? Do you think Mar- Mart can do this? Mar- I, you think the, Bonnie Crombie? Mart Styles Candy you, Challenge. You think Yasser is doing this? Yes or not? The Yasser Nakfi Candy Challenge might be a really interesting two minutes. <laughs> To uh, to get through, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. He's... No one else can do it like he does it. Yeah, yeah. There is something like the 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 folksy thing kind of resonates uh, with people a fair bit. I think I thought I thought it was really really. I didn't understand the format of the tournament though. Like it just sound like Gord like for a tournament. It didn't. It sounded like like one of the chocolate bars had to go through extra hurdles and rounds like like ter- players were getting a buy well, into was, the third round it was predetermined already. because how would they know which one he picked I, if it was just it, random it just yeah because the kick hat was in the next one you already know, you know how the ncaa tournament's got like a bracket yeah i'd like to see the bracket to see where each chocolate bar started and then from there and candy corn just do they even get to play in the tournament next year he for should duck? be thrown out of office just for wow. saying candy corn's good yeah <laughs> There's, there's comment, Sheba, uh, I'd rather be dipped in battery acid. I'm oh like, my man. God. Harsh. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. This is fascinating this morning, and Dave Bradley mentioned in the news, and we did as well. The Ford government's going to mandate Holocaust education for high school students, and I'll give you some of the parameters of it. But before I do that, I want to set you up on the phones, and I want to have a conversation with you Think back to your own high school days. Let's paint that picture of what was compulsory, what was a mandated course, if you will, uh, and what was an optional course. Like my recollection is you could stop taking phys ed after ninth grade. I still think that's the case. I'm not sure we shouldn't have more phys ed in our schools. And people say, don't you play sports? I'm like, yes, but part of the reason in playing sports, I was so busy that I didn't want to get exhausted for and 45 minutes a day. Um, In phys ed class. So if you're playing tennis after school four nights a week all through the winter or you're on the school's soccer team or the badminton team or or you're involved in other intramurals, the last thing you wanted was a phys ed class. Also, all those health charts. I didn't know what was what or what went where or anything. I was bad at that. But I want to know what you think we should do in high school that we don't do enough. What should be mandatory in high school? What should be compulsory? What are the things we need more of? In our high schools. And I just want to talk about choruses. I don't want to talk about the sort of atmosphere of schools. I don't want to talk about the environment. I don't want to talk about safety. And I know those are important issues. But when it comes to compulsory things that every kid should learn, what are they? Bottom lining it, you have to, to get your OSSD, your Ontario Secondary School Diploma. You may not know this if you don't have a kid in school or don't have kids, period. Four credits in English. Three credits in mathematics. Oh, gosh. You got to take grade 11 math. Hey. Two credits in science, one in history, just the one. One credit in geography, one credit in the arts. So that could be visual arts, drama, music. Those are better courses, by the way, um, than when I went to school. But it's not a lot. There's 18 compulsory credits, and you obviously need 30 credits to graduate. I want to know what you think we should be doing more of. And here's the thing. Everybody's going to have a different opinion about it. I've told the famous story before where my parents opened up my grade 12 report card while I'm away at Camp Manitowabing near Perry Sound, and I I flunked grade 12 math. Not proud of it, but it's a reality, and I owe it to you to be honest with you. So I flunked grade 12 math, and I told them, I'm pretty good with numbers. I'll never need it again. I won't need it in university. I won't need it to do what I do, and I'm going to focus on getting great grades in courses that can get me to the university I want to go to. 
and snap of a finger, I did just that. You know, you put your head down and you do the work. What do you, What is your reaction to the Ontario government mandating Holocaust education in high school? David Eby, the NDP premier in BC, who I mentioned a couple times on the show, I think a lot of him. And I think there's a template there to learn from some of what his government is doing. It's almost like an apolitical government. He's popular out there, regardless of ideology. Um, whether you think we are just so far behind in something like that. Lessons on the Holocaust are going to be expanded in grade 10 history so that teachers can't just skip over it. You got to take grade 10 history to get your, your diploma. And the Holocaust will become a bigger part of that. I want to know what you think of that, but also what we should be doing more of. Let me start with David. David, thanks for the phone call. You're on 640 Toronto, and you go right ahead. I, I think history in general needs to be taught properly. Um, the only problem, my only issue is, is that unfortunately, we, as we can see today with the way everybody either leans one way or the other, it's never going to get taught properly. We can't teach mathematics properly, and it's something that's not political. It's mathematics. It's, it's cut and dry, and we, can't get, and we can't do that properly. So unfortunately, I... As much as you'd like to, you know, we need to do things. I don't think it's going to get done properly anyway. I know. I really struck. David, um, you made such a great point there. Um, and it wouldn't have been something I would have brought up on my own. But that's why we have these conversations is I worry when we go too far back to like the fur trade. I just I blank out. I want to talk about stuff 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, not 800 years ago. Like I, I, if you're going to hit me up with John A. McDonald and, and the Trans-Canada Railway, I understand. I'm not saying don't teach it at all, but shouldn't we be talking about more stuff 25, 30 years ago? I've never seen so much uh, lack of education and, uh, and, and acumen about the Middle East. And the Middle East is super difficult to fully understand, explain to somebody in a few sentences, and I don't envy a high school teacher that has to teach it. But we have to do it. We have to do it just for the for the notion that we might impart some knowledge to kids so they have a better sense of it. That makes sense to me. 416-870-6400. Ron, I want to get you on. What do we do? need to do more of in high schools, Ron, that we're not doing? Cooking. you got to teach these kids how to cook. I went to, I went to college, and uh, I was the only guy among seven of my roommates because we shared a house. <laughs> I could actually cook. Everybody else was eating junk food five nights a week. You don't have to eat their food, though. No, no, I don't. But they were always trying to get into my lasagna or my oh. whatever. Just, just animals. Were they taking like, your food? You can't, you can't be stealing no. other people's food from the fridge. No, no I have my own. That's a party foul. Yeah, cooking. There you have it, uh, Rod. Thanks for the phone call on six forty Toronto. You go right ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, you know, learning about history is fine. I think we need to start teaching our kids a lot more about the future. And I think money management is a big part of it. Um, I think a lot of these kids today don't understand what a mortgage is, how to handle debt, uh, what a credit card is all about, and interest rates. Yes. They haven't learned about the consumer price index. They don't know what the Bank of Canada is. I, I think all of these things are extremely important for these kids as they're growing up. I'll tell you who wouldn't want a compulsory course on money management, uh, banks and credit card companies, Rod, because I think we, <laughs> for, for how we probably handled our credit when we were 2021 and how I saw my roommates handle it, I'm like, it, yeah, it, exactly that. It, it's uh, We end up paying more interest rates and late fees 
and um, and they dine out on those fees. Those guys buy cars with our fees for that kind of stuff. Mary, thanks very much for the phone call. Uh, you're on 640 Toronto. You go right ahead. Good morning and happy November. Two things need to be taught in high school mandatory. First off, personal finances. Kids have to be taught how to uh, save their money, invest their money. They have to learn what a mortgage is, a car loan, uh, their credit bureau uh, importance. They have to learn how to, you know, budget their finances, you know, don't spend more than what you make and how to how important it is to, you know, pay off your credit cards, et cetera. And secondly, they need to be taught government. I mean, yeah. they get, I think, a semester of civics, but they don't, they're not really taught government. The difference between municipal, provincial, federal governments, the types of governments, the, the parties that we have, what each party represents, and to be taught in an unbiased environment so the kid can make their own decisions in the future. I have no idea. You know, we talk about, uh, Mary, things like um, big pharma and big oil. I don't know who runs big math. But um, I cannot figure out why <laughs> functions and obtuse versus acute angles. And, and I have no idea, no idea why that's I'm well, not that's- saying it's not important, but it's so prioritized over everything you just mentioned that every single person on the planet needs to know. And I, not every single planet needs to know functions or vectors or calculus. They're introduced to them in high school, and then kids will take it further. But there's those kids who don't need it, as you said, but they need to be taught the basics of life. And what's our, what involves our life is our government, which is very important in our lives, and our personal finances. Yeah, you got it. That's exactly it. Thank you very much for the phone call. I mean, I, I've never had a proper explanation from a principal or anyone else as to why grade 12 math is as, as convoluted. Uh, as it is. There are practical questions, that's for sure. But, you know, there's parabolas, vertexes, intercepts. None of that helps you run a business. None of that helps you plan a family budget. None of that helps you handle a house payment, a car payment, um, money for the fun stuff, all of it. I don't, I'm lost. Johnny, thanks very much for the phone call. You're a grade eight teacher. We want to get you on. And and before we uh, wrap this up, thanks for the phone call. Go right ahead. Hey, Ray, thanks for taking my call. Sure. I teach grade 8, and during November, I read a novel. I'm sure a lot of your listeners probably heard It's called The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. It's also a movie on Netflix. Uh, it's a great introduction to um, the Holocaust and what it's like between the relationship of a German boy and a prisoner of the war camp. And I slowly tied it to World War II because of Remembrance Day. It's pretty much November is pretty much devoted to history of wars, how we lead to wars why hate could erupt into such wars. And I, a lot of students really are taken back by that. We really have good, concrete discussions because I try to focus more about the oral aspect. Let's have a talk about all this stuff. I love that you do that because that's, that's how I grew up with my teachers. My dad was a history teacher, and I knew that was how he taught his classes. Uh, he's my hero. What are the conversations... What do the conversations branch into in your classroom the last three weeks or so? How do you, how do you navigate it? Well, it's very delicate. I pretty much tell my guys, no surprise, there's a big war going on. Surprise, surprise. Mm-hmm. People don't like each other. How do we fix it? So we start with a micro, then we go macro. Okay, so let's talk about it in a classroom. You know, I teach most of Toronto schools. They're very diverse kids. And I was like, how do you see each other at? I was like, oh, he's my friend. He's this, he's that. And I'm like, is there somebody that you don't have, you don't gel with? He's like, yeah. I was like, 
and I use the word hate. Do you hate that person? Do you dislike that person? He's like, no, I don't dislike it. It's like we just don't see eye to eye, so I kind of just stick to my stuff, but I respect them as a student, and I respect their way to live. So we kind of have those little conversations. Well, it's almost like almost anti-bullying, if you know what I mean. Do you sense do you sense racial religious tension in in the in your elementary school? You don't have to tell me where you teach. Is is it is it more? Is it less than a month ago? It's it's I teach Toronto Catholic. Okay. So uh, not so much. Um, everyone's just sad about what's going on. Yes. People are like, why can't we all get along? Um, but I, I tell them that guys, like, this is the reality. This is the world we got to prep you guys for. Uh, well, this, this is me saying this, Johnny. Like, uh, you're, I'm, I'm going to blow smoke uh, for you, but we need more teachers like you. We've never, ever tried to teach more. We, we try to teach more anti-racism than ever before, and I feel like sometimes it works and sometimes it blows up in our face. And sometimes you're putting kids in boxes going, you're this, you're that. And I find we shouldn't do that with anybody because not all people... Black people don't all think the same things. Asian people don't all think the same things. White people don't. Like, there, it just does not work that way. I try to dismantle that whole anti-racism. I find issues with that, too. And I'm like, it's not a white versus black. It's everybody. Everyone's got something against somebody. And I'm like, we need to learn to work together. And then and my final point, because I know you need to leave. Yeah. We don't really call it history. We call it social sciences. And I find that so weird because why don't we call, because you get a mark for history, but under it's under the social studies things. I'm like, well, it's almost like English. Like we teach English, but we call it language arts. That's right. Yeah. And so I mean, if we were more specific, yeah. I think that'll help us out a lot because at the end of the day, we're training Canadian citizens. We want them to be role models. We're trying to prep them for the world ahead. And I feel like we're boxing them, we're coddling them. And I'm like, you guys got to get exposed to them. Because if we don't give them the tools now, Lord help us in the future. A hundred, yeah, a hundred percent. And we're starting. To, thank you for the phone call. Uh, that's one of the best calls I've ever taken on this station. And th- we have to have those conversations. At least we're having the conversations. At least we're starting to.